Next six months, 5,000 people were saved. When that year was over, 10,000 people had been saved. John 3.16. I call that the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven. Every song that's ever written is written in a particular key. Our song, the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven, is written in the key of be saved. And there are four movements that I want to point to your attention in the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven. Number one, the cause. It says, for God so loved the world. That little word, so, is the biggest word in the English language. Ephesians 3 and verse 18 says, It's impossible to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God. Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, Ephesians 5 and verse 2, and walk in love as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Galatians 2 and verse 20, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. First John 4 and verse 10, We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. The songwriter said, Could we with ink the ocean fill, or were the skies a parchment made? Would every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. For God so loved the world. You know, the greatest love that is known to mankind, humanly speaking, is the love that a mother has for her children. I notice when my daughters look at their children, they have a different look than even when they look at me. How many of you are mothers this morning? Raise your hand. Uh, ladies, do you remember the night those labor pains started? You say, how in the world could I ever forget them? Now, they started out slowly, didn't they? And they kept intensifying, and they kept intensifying. And just before that baby was born, you thought it was impossible to remain sane and experience that type of pain. But let me ask you a question. How long did it take for that pain to become a distant memory? The moment you held that bundle of joy in your arms. You know, this is why abortion is so unnatural. What is the first thing a toddler wants for Christmas, a little girl? She wants a little baby. And there is a love that a mother has for a child that nobody else can explain. Who is it that stays up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when that child has a 103 degree temperature and puts that uh, pack on their head. Is it the husband? 
not on your life. You know, the moment that little child is brought home, that mother's ear is attuned to that crib. The next morning she gets up and she says, Honey, did you hear our baby turn over last night? He says, I didn't hear anything. But I'm talking about a love that far exceeds the love that a father has for a child. I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for a meeting, and a person came to me and he said, You know, when I go downtown, I see these dirty, stinking, smelly hippies. And he said, It makes me sick. I said, Wait a minute. I said, How do you think you and I look to God before God saved us? You think God looked down and he saw somebody who had a good personality? He dressed nicely, he took a bath, wore deodorant, and he said, I'll save him because he'll be a help to my cause. I said, that's not why God saved you or me. And I said, let me remind you of something. You and I didn't look so beautiful to God before God saved us. You see, Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says, we were dead in trespasses and in sin. Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we were children of disobedience. Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we were strangers, we were aliens in our mind by wicked works. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, we were afar off. Romans 5 and verse 6, we were ungodly. But Romans 5 and verse 8 says, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. I read about a man who came to Bughouse Square in Chicago years ago. And Bughouse Square is exactly what the name implies. It's a place where the heretics come and they propagate their false doctrine. Well, on this occasion, the atheist had a large crowd assembled before him. And he came to the platform and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here for one reason. He said, I'm going to take five minutes, and I'm going to prove to you that there's no God. He said, now, at the end of five minutes, if there's anybody in this building, in this crowd, stupid enough to believe in a God, I want you to take the platform. He said, all right, watch this. He looked at his watch. He looked at the sky, and he said, God, <laughs> if there is a God in heaven, I'll give you five minutes to strike me dead. He faced the platform. He said, what's wrong? Has your God gone on vacation? He said, God, are you deaf? You've only got three minutes. Kept pacing the platform. Finally, he looked at his watch and he said, now, God, you've got 30 seconds. A lot of people aren't going to believe in you today unless in 30 seconds you kill me. Five minutes were up. He said, you see, I told you there was no God. He said, is there anybody in this crowd stupid enough to believe in a God? Young man raised his hand from the back. He said, sir, I'd like to take the platform. Out down the aisle ran a young man from Moody Bible Institute. He said, ladies and gentlemen, on my way over here today, I met a little boy. His clothes were dirty and ragged. And the smell was not good. He said, I could tell he hadn't had a bath in some time. So I went over the little boy and I said, young man, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to take you to a restaurant and buy you a meal. 
little boy balled up his fist and he said, get away from me. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, I took a step closer and I said, young man, you don't understand. I'm your friend. I'd like to buy you a meal. I'd like to buy you some clothes. He said, get away from me. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, I thought I would try one more time. So I walked over and put my hand on his shoulder, just a show of emotion. And I said, young man, I like you. I want to take you to a restaurant, buy you some clothes, and even give you some money. And the little boy said, get your dirty hands off me. I don't want anything to do with you. He said, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one reason why I didn't slap that little boy's face. Because I loved him. He said, this atheist has gotten up here today and he's blasphemed the God of heaven. He said, there's only one reason why the God of heaven did not strike him dead. Because he loves him. You know what happened that day in Bughouse Square? Over 100 people received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because somebody stood up and told them that Jesus Christ loved them. The cause for God's soul loved the world. Number two, the cost he gave his only begotten son. Ladies and gentlemen, I have three daughters. My wife and I and our three daughters have traveled around the world while the girls were growing up. I have preached in 49 states and 35 countries. You say, what state have you not preached in? Louisiana. But we will be preaching there on July the 14th, Lord willing. So it'll be 50. And during these 57 years, God has given us hundreds of thousands of friends around the world. The last meeting I was in in Charleston, South Carolina, a man came to me and he said, my name is Mr. Campbell. He said, Brother Ron, I want you to know that I have prayed for you every single day for 22 years. And God has given us hundreds of thousands of friends around the world. But you know what? There is not a friend that I would let one of my three daughters die for. I, I'll go farther than that. I wouldn't take all of my friends and put them together and let one of my three daughters die for all of my friends together. Let me remind you of something. God didn't have three sons. He only had one. And he didn't let his son die for his friends. He let his son die for his enemies. He gave his only begotten son. I love to hear definitions of grace. Somebody said grace is an acrostic. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. Somebody else said grace is unmerited favor. I like what the black preacher said. He said grace is God minus you plus nobody. I like that. It's all of God. And although grace is free, it certainly wasn't cheap. God Almighty searched all over heaven, and there was not an angel good enough to die on the cross for your sins and mine. So he sent his only begotten Son. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God 
to death in the flesh and quicken in the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he that's God hath made him that's Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13, But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. A young man by the name of Andy one night was on his way home from work. He passed by a field and he noticed a bungalow on fire. And all of a sudden, Andy remembered there are two little boys that live in that bungalow. So not thinking about his own life, Andy ran into the house, took a child under each arm, covered them with his coat, brought them to safety without a scratch or a burn on their body. But Andy's arms were burnt to a crisp all the way up to the elbows. The parents were burned alive in the flames. A couple months passed and the two boys were up for adoption. Two people had applied for the adoption. One was the town mayor, the other was Andy. And the judge looked at Andy the day of awarding the children, and he said, now, Andy, he said, I've got one question to ask you, and how you answer this question will determine who gets these two boys. He said, Andy, look at this mayor. He's got a fine position. He's got a beautiful home. He's got property. He could give these boys everything their little hearts desire. He said, on the other hand, Andy, I've checked your bank account. You're a poor working man. You don't even have a savings account. He said, what right do you have to these two little boys? Andy didn't say a word. You know what he did? He just held up his scarred hands. You look at God tonight and you say, God, what right do you have to my life? All Jesus has to do is hold up his nail-pierced hands. The cause for God so loved the world. The cost that he gave his only begotten son. The condition that whosoever believeth in him. Years ago, I was in a meeting in Colorado. And the pastor came to me and he said, Brother Comfort, I have been dealing with a Roman Catholic lady. And he said, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere with her. So I decided to leave her a gospel of John and challenge her. And I said, now, would you read this gospel of John? And when you finish, call me. And I'd like to come and get your impressions of the gospel of John. She said, I'll do it. He said, Brother Comfort, she's called me this morning, and I'm going to see her. Would you go with me? I'm so glad I did. This is classic, folks. We sat down in her living room, and she said this. She said, Preacher, I don't understand it. She said, All my life I've been taught that there are seven sacraments I had to keep in order to be saved that there are commandments I have to observe, that there are sacraments I have to observe. She said, but I don't find that in the Gospel of John. She said, I've gone through the 21 chapters, and the only thing I find in the Gospel of John is this, that in order to be saved, I have to believe. He said, ma'am, that's exactly what I've tried to tell you. 
Do you know 98 times in the Gospel of John the word believe or its equivalent is used? Here are some. John 1, 12. And he has received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. John 3, 15. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 18. He that believeth on him hath everlasting life. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. John 6.35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 7, 37 and 38. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man come unto me and drink, uh, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John 8 and verse 24. I said therefore unto you that if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though or dead yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now here's the way God concludes the book of John. John 20, 19 and 21. He says, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So the only condition is believing. But listen carefully. There is a difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. For 15 years of my life, I accepted it mentally. I went to church and heard the preacher preach that Jesus lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose again, and I accepted it all in my cranium. But you know what? I believed in Jesus like I believed in George Washington. Believing in George Washington never changed my life, nor did believing in Jesus change my life. When I was 15 years of age, I heard a preacher say this, there are 18 inches difference between heaven and hell. If you believe in your head, it'll take you to hell. If you believe in your heart, it'll transform your life and it'll take you to heaven. Folks, 65 years ago, as a 15-year-old boy, I traded a head knowledge for a heart knowledge. I traded an eternity in hell for an eternity in heaven. What's the difference? Many years ago, there was a great tightrope walker who was world-renowned. His name was Blondin. He got an idea that he was going to do something that nobody had ever succeeded in doing. He was going to go across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Well, the wire services picked it up, and they talked about that day when Blondin would make his historic trek. Well, the day came, the banks were filled with curious onlookers. Blondin got to the platform, everybody stood in hushed silence. He stood, and then he started across the tightrope, 
and he walked slowly. He heightened his pace until the time he got to the other side, he was trotting. They clapped, they applauded, and they cheered. He had done something nobody had ever done before. History was made. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, how many of you believe I can put a man in a wheelbarrow and take him across the Niagara in a wheelbarrow on the tightrope? Well, they clapped and they applauded and they cheered. They saw what he had just done. He said, all right, who will be that person? Nobody said a word. Finally, a man raised his hand, and he said, Mr. Blondin, I'll be that man. He came to the platform, placed himself in the wheelbarrow, and Blondin took him across the tightrope in the wheelbarrow. Uh, how many said they believed in Blondin? All of them. How many really believed in Blondin? One. You say, I believe in Jesus. Is it a head knowledge or a heart knowledge? Here's a statement. A faith that doesn't change a person's life does not save a person's soul. Can I repeat that? A faith that doesn't change a person's life does not save a person's soul. The sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven in the key of be saved, the first movement is the cause. For God so loved the world. The second movement, the cost that he gave his only begotten son. The third movement, the condition that whosoever believeth in him. Finally, the consequence should not perish, but have eternal life. There are two statements in that phrase that are in contrast. First, there is the statement, perish. That means hell. Folks, hell is a place. Luke 16, 28, the rich man in hell said, lest they also come into this place of torment. There you have everlasting life. That means heaven. And that's the place. John 14 and verse 3, and I go away and prepare a place for you. Have you ever thought that there are three things the same about heaven and hell? Number one, they both last the same amount of time. Number two, there's no exit from either one. Number three, they who go there will be there forever. Somebody says, well, I don't believe a loving God would send a soul to hell. Well, the problem with that is, number one, hell was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41, Matthew 25, 46. Anybody who dies and goes to hell will be trespassing. Number two, God did not make you a robot. He made you with a will to choose. And anybody who dies and goes to hell goes there by their own volition. In closing, I have in my library a book entitled Testimonies of Dying Saints and Dying Sinners. Very interesting. In years gone by, just before a person crossed the great divide in death, he had a glimpse of the hereafter. You know how D.L. Moody died? 
He was on his deathbed, and his son was standing beside of his bed. And D.L. Moody looked up, and he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. He said, Is this death? Why, there's no valley here. His son said, Dad, keep quiet. He said, You've been dreaming. He said, Son, I haven't been dreaming. He said, I've already been within the gates of heaven. I've already seen the smile on my grandchildren's faces who are in heaven. He said, this is my coronation day. This is glory. But on the other hand, you know how the infidel Voltaire died? As Voltaire was on his deathbed, his infidel friends came in to see him. Voltaire mustered all of his dying strength, raised himself from the bed, and to the top of his lungs screamed, Get him out of here! Get him out of here! He said, You have damned my soul to hell, and I don't want to see the sight of your face in my dying moments. You know what his infidel friends did? They put a watch of infidels outside of his bedroom for two solid months lest anybody should come in and see how an infidel died. You know how he finally died? His body was convulsing. He was screaming, Get my feet out of the flames! Get my feet out of the flames! I wish I had never been born. The nurse that attended the death of Voltaire said this, She would never again, for all the money of London, England... Watch another infidel die. Ladies and gentlemen, if what you have tonight is not good enough to die by, it is not good enough to live by. And you can be saved. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. As my wife comes to the piano and plays, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let me ask you this. How many of you in the building today can say, Brother Comfort, there was a time and a place when I realized I was a sinner. I realized I could not save myself. I could not get to heaven by my good works. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if I died right now, I can give you a Bible reason why I know I'm saved. If I died right now, I can give you a Bible reason why I know I'd go to heaven. If you can honestly say that, would you slip up your hand, please? Keep it up just a moment. If you're not sure you're saved, don't raise it. Keep it up just a moment. All right, thank you. You may put them down. Several could not raise their hand. Thank you for being honest. Now, you can be saved right where you sit. Did you know that? Let me ask you some questions. Number one, do you understand you're a sinner? You say, well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, that's you, that's I, that's all of us. Number two, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means separation from God. That's what we deserve. But I'm glad the verse doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you've got a choice. You can either choose what you deserve, which is hell, 
are the opposite of what you deserve, which is eternal life. Here's the good news. When Jesus died on Calvary, he did two things. Number one, he took your sin debt. Number two, he purchased the gift of salvation with his blood. You say, how do I get that gift? Here it is. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christians, would you pray that folks will respond to this right now? All right, listen, if you would like to be saved right where you sit, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and pray after me this simple prayer, and pray it sincerely. Here's the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy of your love. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I want to live for him. Come into my life and take away my sins and be my Lord and Savior for Jesus' sake. Now with our heads bowed, Pastor Brother Carnes and I are watching. How many of you in the auditorium this morning would say, Brother Comfort, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. And as a testimony to the pastor and you, I want to raise my hand to let you know I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you kindly slip up your hand right now, please? God bless you, sir. God bless you and you. And you, that's four, that's five, that's six. Over there on my left, that's seven in the middle. Seven have raised their hands. Others, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer, and I meant it along with these seven. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, you seven who said I prayed that prayer, would you just lift your head right now and look at me just a moment, please? Nobody's looking but you and me. This is just between us. Now, when you said I prayed that prayer, did you mean it? How about you? How about you, sir? How about you, ma'am? How about you back there? All right, over here on my right. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God had to save you. His promise is, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you understand that? Now, pastor's going to come and give you some instructions. In a moment, we're going to sing a stanza. But right now, pastor, would you come and give them these instructions? the end of this service, I want you to come to me. And I have something that I want to give you. I want to talk to you just for a moment, okay? I want to uh, encourage you. you. You've made a decision in your life that will change your life forever. And I thank God for that. Thank God for that. So you make sure that you find me. We'll do so. We'll talk. I'll give you what I want to give you, and, and you can take that, and I pray that it will be a help to you and uh, truly be a blessing. Let's all stand as we sing.